0: This week, in the parish of bourses and market structure, Libor lives. Alistair Haynes' Aquas is going from strength to strength, despite London's soggy equity market. The LME published their Nickel Review and more. The BMLL Lake has become a global data ocean. In bit carnage, it's a case of BBC. Bixie breaks Coinbase. But all we really want to know is... Who is the Binance Mole? My name is Patrick L. Young. Welcome to the Bourse Business Weekly Digest. It's the Exchange Invest Weekly Podcast, episode one hundred and eighty-eight. <laughs> Over in BitCarnage this week, the SEC charged crypto trading platform Beeksy and its executives for operating an unregistered exchange broker and clearing agency. You've never heard of Beeksy. I have never heard of Beeksy. However, we now have the playbook template of precisely how the SEC intends to take down Coinbase. There was a notable remark in the accompanying documentation from SEC Chairman Gary Gensler. Our securities laws for decades have served to protect investors, make capital formation easier and cheaper and improve our markets. This case serves as yet another reminder to crypto intermediaries that their business models must comply and adapt to the law, not the other way around. Now there is a biggie. While maintaining a remarkable shape-shifting approach over the generations, the SEC is deploying all its tools, from the Howey test to that epic library, LBRY, precedent of last year, which, as I noted at the time in Exchange Invest and on this podcast, would return in seismic fashion. Such a seismic fashion, it's even got the cat vexed. Incidentally, GG just opened a chasm to Roston Benham at the CFTC, who's convinced he needs new regulations. Gigi's saying he will just use what's already in the toolbox. In other BitCarnage news, we reckon the Binance Mole is former Binance US CEO Catherine Coley. But to understand why, well, you need a subscription to Exchange Invest. Or... Here's the exciting news. If legacy exchanges aren't your thing, but you want to keep abreast of crypto, then you can subscribe to our Substack, stack BitCarnage. In the world of legacy exchanges this week, the LME Group has announced its action plan to strengthen its markets. LME is somewhat linking tethering into QME, that's the Hong Kong Exchange's mainland Chinese commodity spot subsidiary exchange. An interesting approach as LME tries to find ways forward for nickel in a world where battery demand drives secondary market qualities below the LME's primary quality existing products. There's a lot to unpack in this report and LME are clearly trying hard to address many issues arising from the Nickel Nightmare and the subsequent Oliver Wyman report. Down under, the ASIC moves should end the ASX chairman's tenure, says the Australian Financial Review AFR. The drumbeats are rising in Sydney as calls grow for the head of the ASX chairman in the wake of the chess replacement fiasco. Exchanges need to be held to account. To a high standard. It was a busy week in results this week. All the details were in exchange invest. Let's pick a couple of highlights. Aquas Exchange, net revenue up 24%, underlying profit 41% higher, and reaching a very healthy 4.7 million pounds. That's a better part of 6 million dollars. Terrific results for Aquas with a very meaningful bottom line profit being generated at last. Well done to Alistair Haynes and the team. Over in the Channel Islands, T I S E, they've reported. Record equaling turnover for 2022. Their profits are now down 13.2% on the year, a downtick that is after a stellar 2021 for the Channel Islands based exchange. Meanwhile, in Caracas, in Venezuela, the Bolsa de Valores de Caracas, they doubled to 200,000 bolivars, the capital of the exchange. Thanks for listening to Exchange Invest Weekly. We welcome your feedback. You can contact me directly, patrick at derivativesvision.com with any comments. Meanwhile, if you enjoyed this show, we would welcome you giving us a thumbs up. Or if you have time, a positive review will always be welcome wherever you find this podcast. Meanwhile, in new markets, from the new new things to a very old thing indeed being reborn, Qatar, they're going to be introducing options and futures in their new derivatives exchange, according to the regulator, while Japan's historical futures market has been reborn as a precious metals exchange. The Osaka-Dojima exchange, which closed in 1939 after an illustrious history dating back several centuries, has returned, not trading rice but trading all forms of precious metals. Albania they've launched the electricity exchange Alpex and Gemini are preparing an overseas derivatives exchange to offer perpetual futures that therefore means that Coinbase and the V are looking to launch exchanges overseas in Europe to escape the US regulatory climate. I'm rather unconvinced they appreciate that the world is now crypto cynical unless or until we see a crypto version 2.0. If you're trying to understand how we get to crypto version 2.0, then you need my most recent book, Victory or Death, Blockchain, Cryptocurrency and the Fintech World. That comes 20 years on from the capital market revolution. Victory or Death is published by DV Books and distributed by Ingram Worldwide. While you're waiting for your copy of Victory or Death to arrive, check out our live stream, Tuesday 6pm London, one o'clock New York time, the IPO video live show, Catch the back episodes on LinkedIn and YouTube via IPO-Vid. Coming this week, we've got a repeat of a very interesting discussion about cloud-based exchanges with the good folks of Exprey. Most recently, we had IPO-Vid 101, which was absolutely magnificent with the CNBC star, Bob Pisani, live from the New York Stock Exchange. Shut up and keep talking, all about his book and his Illustrious career, including a generation at the heart of the capital of capital markets, the New York Stock Exchange. Coming on April 18th, we're going to have Jim Olaf, former vice chairman of the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. He's going to be discussing markets in electronic transition. Don't miss it, but in the meantime, don't forget to catch up all of our back episodes. You can find them on YouTube via IPO vid. In crypto land this week, the Stuttgart Stock Exchange have managed to secure a BaFin license for crypto custody for their crypto unit. In product news, NASDAQ are introducing a regular auction model to support less liquid shares on the NASDAQ First North growth market. That's something PLY has been advocating for SME stocks for years now. And it's good to see NASDAQ moving forward with their auction plan where the Channel Islands TISE has an auction-only secondary market platform. LIBOR lives. The UK regulator, the FCA, are requiring ICE Benchmark Administration to keep publishing a synthetic US dollar LIBOR. It's another one for the why-did-we-bother category. LIBOR replacement is one of the great wastes of time forced upon markets by an eager what aboutery, cabal of politicians and regulators, neither of whom took the time to think anything through. Technology news this week. TradeWeb have completed the final technology milestones of integrating the NASDAQ US fixed income electronic trading platform. And SIBO Australia have completed the technology migration and launched their first new Australian offering. It's great to see Vic Djokovic heading out the door soon on this high note. And more significantly, well done Michael Aikens and the modest team of tech boffins in SIBO APAC Oz who've made this smooth transition. AQUIS, meanwhile, they've launched the world's first regulated market grade 24 by 7 exchange market infrastructure technology. And the Swiss Central Bank is launching a probe into a malfunction at the Zurich Exchange Operator 6. Congratulations in technology finally to BMLL. They have expanded their data coverage to APAC. The first time that Level 3 data, I am reliably informed, is available on a global basis by my pointy-headed friends kayaking across their 15 petabyte and more lake of data at BMLL. Regulation news this week. Well, we had a budget bust up. The SEC are seeking $2.4 billion in total. That's a 13.4% increase. The CFTC seeking 12.6%. There's a tiny percentage difference in the increased requests, but perhaps the most interesting element is the way the SEC have concluded they can go regulate crypto and crypto needs to put up or shut up while complying. At the same time, Chairman Benham of the CFTC has demonstrated what I think, alas, is his ongoing gift for misreading the room. He's asking for more rules and more rules, just as Congress is hoping the world can ignore that Congress ever listened to a word of this crypto guff stuff. Great path this week. DTCC announced several key leadership appointments. Susan Cosgrove has become president, clearing and security services. Timothy Keady has become chief client officer. And rene Laroche Morris is CFO. CME Group have appointed Tim McCourt as global head of financial and OTC products. While Peter Reitz is bifurcating his role at EEX, he is bringing in a new CEO for the clearinghouse ECC, the former EEX strategy officer Tobias Paulin. All the very best to both men in the future. Meanwhile, finally this week in Career Paths, the Caracas Stock Exchange have appointed a new board of director. Gustavo Pulido Medina has been elected as president, Marco Gasparini as vice president and Andres Octavio as secretary, while Horacio Velutini has joined the board as an independent director. All are going to be serving a two-year term. It's slightly longer than a two year term. I think it's a four year term. In Chicago's mayoral race, things are heating up as we head towards the final round runoff between the two leading candidates. That's led to a great deal of concern. In desperation, taxation could be the motto for many running for mayor in Chicago. Thus, we have candidate Vallas. Remember, Illinois is a one party state. There were 50 shades of Democrat in the mayoral race originally. Now, Candidate Vallis used to run the schools. That's the definition of a role in Chicago which involves appreciating adversity through perversity of operation. Candidate Vallis is up against some truly wild lefty of the lunatic fringe school of thought. Indeed, he also happens to be the man backed by the unions of teachers. Thus, it's time for a financial transaction tax, says this loony left dude, Brandon Johnson. That's the man supported by the Chicago Teachers Union. Now, there's a school of thought here that if these people are so economically illiterate, then educate. Well, actually, let's just not go down the line of discussing education. Sticking to markets, Chicago et al., A leftist concern has emerged that the folks with the money in Chicago, aka very often traders, are against this financial transaction tax. My moles on the ground in Chicago say you can spot the upscale areas of the city these days as they have all sprouted valise for mayor placards as soon as the dismal incumbent lorry Lightfoot was booted out of round one. Left-wing in commentary is inferring that Mr. Vallis is to the right of Attila the Hun. For the rest of us, it's hard to see why anybody is going to stay in Chicago if your company is called, say, Merck or Exchange. Not everybody yet lives in Florida, but things could change. Essentially, this vote boils down to... Do you prefer a chance at maybe slightly pruning, reining in the outrageous spendthrift engine of government in the municipality, or would you prefer a future running the gauntlet through a wasteland of empty buildings in the perhaps forlorn hope the Billy Goat Tavern can still ply its trade? For those struggling with the concept of transaction taxes, just remember the old doctor's maxim, a dollar FTT per trade keeps the market away. And on that mysterious and magnificent note, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Patrick L. Young, creator of Marketplaces, publisher of Exchange Invest and publisher of the new substack BitCarnage. I wish you all a great week in blockchain, life and markets. Happy Easter.